Hey, hey, hey. Episode number six. Hey, Brandon, how you doing? Good, man. How are you doing? Doing good. Oh, man, I like how strong you're coming in. You sound great. It's good to hear. So, um, this is our Bitcoin scaling sessions, episode number six. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, I'm trying to get the Umi main account to join as well, so that might take a couple minutes. Oh no, no, no worries, no worries. You, you're um in the U.S., right? Yeah, I'm in L.A. So at, at first, when you scheduled it, I was surprised because I was like, "Man, on Fourth of July," because I'm I'm here in the U.S. also. Oh shit! But you know what else? What else are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, totally forgot it's the 4th of July because like half, well, like 90% of my team's in like Europe or South America, Asia. Yeah. So it's it's like just any other old day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what uh, I was figuring too. Yeah, our team also is, you know, all over the place. So, you know, you just, you have to let people know when your holidays are. But I, I wasn't doing anything else. I was like, yeah, let's do 4th of July. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's free day. Good, good way to celebrate freedom, huh? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, um, Brandon, I, I've I've come to know you a little bit. Thanks a lot to Shroot Cosmos Spaces Connection, you know. And uh, he is really excited about Umi. He he loves you guys, and so whatever he loves, we love. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome to hear. Yeah, Shroot's a cool dude. Um, he's got his Adora Squids collection, and he's been super supportive. So, definitely uh, appreciate his support. Awesome, awesome. All right, so let, let's uh, get our introductions underway. So I'll, I'll start off first. My name is Eric. I'm a community manager here at Babylon, also co-founder of Cosmos Spaces, um, and I'm the one hosting our Scaling Bitcoin sessions. And um, yeah, just you know, here to build community. And so, so again, happy that you're able to join us, Brandon. Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Brandon Comer. I'm the head of product at Umi. Um, I'm also one of the co-founders of Taboo, uh, which is our mobile super app, um, sort of a universal UI for the entire interchain. Um, so yeah, happy to talk about all those things. Uh, also work a little bit with um, our other projects. We've got another one sort of in the works right now that's been in stealth, but uh, we'll be announcing that probably this uh, in the coming weeks. So lots of lots of cool stuff cooking. I'm glad you mentioned Taboo because I'm definitely going to ask you about that uh, later on in the in the space. Um, I'm very intrigued by it, so definitely want to talk more about that here a little bit. In a little yeah, bit. for sure. Um, so when did you start your crypto journey? Uh, I started getting into crypto probably in like 2016, 2017. Um, I was working actually like on the other side of the fence. Um, I was actually building like Patriot Act software and anti-money laundering compliance type stuff and for like large scale financial institutions. Um, and crypto kind of came into my purview from working on that because a lot of like clients were asking like, how can we monitor this type of stuff from our client, from our customers and stuff. So um, a lot, a lot of that like fintech experience got got me a little disillusioned. Um, so eventually, I I started looking elsewhere, and so initially it was just working with like friends and and people I knew within the crypto space, getting you know more knowledge, investing, trading, um, just being an overall user. While I was working on um like fintech projects for like actual work, and then. 
my first foray into like a professional sort of crypto setting was actually Umi. So I was working at Amazon um, in like their like their machine learning uh, sort of hub um, for a lot of their different financial applications and stuff like that. And, you know, met the UMI team, uh, especially Brent, and really vibed with all of them and, and joined from there. Yeah, just uh, got into crypto directly. It seemed it just seemed like a really sort of uh, realistic and pragmatic take on what crypto could do. Um, I had never really sort of believed in, like, I, I believed in DeFi, but I didn't really believe in DeFi taking over Tradva until I discovered the app chain vision from Cosmos. That that made it all make sense because you can really have sort of this whole like holistic system that has aut- autonomy, can do whatever um, whatever the use case is, but can ultimately be separate from everything else. And I think that autonomy is really an, an underrated part of Cosmos. A lot of people talk about you know, economic alliances and, and, and bridging and doing all these things cross chain. But really, that separation is something that makes it really likely for TradFi. And that, that really attracted me. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. Like, it's, you know, it's such a cool space to be able to do all these things that you, you know, initially thought were not even possible. And I, I did, you know, snoop a little bit around and I saw that you did work at Amazon and yeah, you, you jumped ship quickly. You were ready to get into crypto. <laughs> yeah, it was like, you know, I had thought I wanted to do like the big tech thing and the, and the money was obviously pretty awesome, but like it's kind of soul sucking in a way. It's like, you know, crypto was something that I was doing in my free time, like a lot. I was kind of obsessed with it, you could say. And so when it came time to say like, okay, do you stay in big tech? And, you know, do you do that for, you know, a while? And yeah, the money's great. The benefits are great. I mean, you've seen like what what life is like for product people on like those like TikTokers making like the videos like, oh, today I ate a bagel and then I went to the pool and this is my life. I mean, it really is like that, but it's cool. But like it can be so draining and and coming into crypto, it's like. (laughs) You know, it, it's funny because crypto, it feels like it's it's kind of like a dream job in a way because, you know, you're, you're working with all these things that you love and, and it's kind of funny. You know, you were dealing with like these crazy characters, but I would say working in crypto is the closest thing in tech to working in like on, like a real job in that you're actually like building. You're, you're not looking at, you know, these minute numbers and trying to tweak, you know, a little feature um, just to get like X percent more users, you're, you're actually building out entire strategies, looking at how to innovate, looking at how to build something new that people actually use. So it's really cool. Yeah. And I'm I'm right there with you. Like I get in trouble with my wife all the time because I'm definitely putting in more <laughs> more than, I, than I'm supposed to be. But I just enjoy it so much. I enjoy looking into everything, looking into different communities, different ecosystems, and just, you know, trying to trying to expand my knowledge on, on the space. No, I feel you, man. It's like the, uh, you, you work so much in crypto. Like I probably like realistically, I work every day and I work like, I probably think about crypto, like most of the time I'm up as bad as that sounds. And so it's like, I'm working a lot, but it because it, it's like that old phrase, right? It's like when you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's yeah. actually what it feels like. Yeah, it, it's honestly like that for me. Like, it doesn't feel like work. Like, I'm I'm doing it because I want to get better at it. I want to be, you know, the best. And 
Yeah, it's it's a joy. I'm enjoying it. It's like I would be doing this with a different hobby, but this is it just it just so happens that my hobby is what I'm working in, you know, so it's awesome. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned that you you know, it made sense when you came across Cosmos. What other ecosystems did you first initially run into when you started your crypto journey? Yeah, so I really bought into sort of the Bitcoin vision of like this decentralized economy. I really like the fact that the founder, I mean, obviously Satoshi, right? It's like this big mystery. And some people think the CIA created it. Some people think it was, uh, you know, uh, a couple different people. But I like the the idea that it's like this completely decentralized ecosystem where there is not even a founder. And so when I was looking at ecosystems, Cosmos kind of stood out because it was an ecosystem that had lost its founder in almost a... Um, not not in like a voluntary basis, but it was almost like a revolution in, in a sense. Like, you know, the rest of the team that he had worked with, um, talking about Jaquan now, had sort of revolted against some of his behavior. And then they had shipped this product um, with IBC and, and the Hub and all these cool things. And that sort of ethos really attracted me that like, you know, once something is decentralized to the point that it loses its founder it really has a lot of opportunity for growth. I mean, you see this in a lot of different areas. And so that was what attracted me to Cosmos in a sense, other than like the technical aspects of it, just that decentralized manner. But I had, I had been working in, on a couple different things in Ethereum. Um, I had looked into Binance Smart Chain a little bit just because of the cheap transactions because at the time that was like the place to go, right? But then even that got a little expensive when it would it would clog. So stuff like that. Um, and then obviously like the other L1s um, I had worked a little bit in, but nothing major until I joined Umi. Okay. Yeah. Like um, it, it blows my mind how, you know, a, a project can lose its leader and still be successful. So that, that just is a testament to like what Cosmos is. Well, yeah, um, and it doesn't so, usually happen, right? Like most projects, yeah. once they lose their leader, it's um, over. Yeah. <laughs> they either die off or they like they stay around, but it's never the same. Like look at I mean I think Band is an awesome example of that. Like most people don't know that Band was um I think like a Chef Nami uh mm, side yeah. gig from Sushi Swap. It was like a side project. He kind of abandoned it. And you see like, you know, you see the criticism of Band and um that's usually what happens, but with Cosmos as a whole it seems like it really took off and thrived afterwards, and that's really cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, like it, it's it, it definitely thrived a lot afterwards. So it just you know goes to show that that can happen in the space is crazy. Yeah, for sure. Um, so for I, I, my next question is going to be this, but I want to just kind of you know butter it up a little bit. Um, um my question is going to be when when did you first hear about Bitcoin? For me. I remember hearing about Bitcoin like through the news, reading. And so my association was always like negative. Oh, it's used for the black market. Oh, it's used for selling drugs. And so I, because of what I kept hearing, I never, like it never piqued my interest. I was like, oh, I know to stay away from it. It's like a, a scam PayPal or something. I remember thinking, I had no idea what it was. So I'm just curious as to if you can recall when you first heard about Bitcoin and, uh, and like, yeah, just your thoughts on that. I recall Bitcoin from when I was an undergrad, which was like 
fucking a long time ago. It was like probably like my freshman year in like 2011. I think um, I that was like the first time I had gotten into it. Uh, a bunch of my friends were super into like a lot of um, like a lot of sort of fringe technology, fringe just topics. And so, you know, I mean, I think that's a lot of people's stories is like, if you're into fringe things, you eventually find these things. And, um, you know, Bitcoin spoke to me, like for the reasons I mentioned, um, the first time I ever bought crypto though, was probably, I think it was Ethereum actually. I bought a, so like I mentioned, I had, I'd worked a little bit on like anti-money laundering software and Patriot Act software, which is like diametrically like opposed to the entire crypto vision. And like, I was getting pretty disillusioned from it. Like just kind of seeing like, like you work with this end goal of like, okay, you're going to stop terrorism financing. You're going to stop all these fraud, um, fraud activities and stuff. But just seeing like the level of detail of like what people, what like the government can see about you and stuff like that was really disillusioning. And so everyone that I worked with, because we were working on these products was like, Oh, Bitcoin's a scam. Ethereum's a scam. It's all money laundering, blah, blah, blah. I'm a, I'm a bit of a contrarian. So that got me really interested in it. Um, And that's when I, I think I made my first purchase, which I think um, Ethereum must've been, it was like 200 bucks at the time. It, it had just like fallen a bunch and people were saying Ethereum was going to die. And it was like 200 bucks. And I bought, I don't know, quite a bit, I would say, <laughs> as a major like contrarian move against the people I was working <laughs> with. And it worked out. It worked out. There you but, go. Uh, yeah, that was kind of my first experience. That's awesome. Man, like, you know, you, you keep telling me your story and it makes me think, I don't know if you, if you know this, Patrick from Jackal, he also was working in like trying to find people who were using crypto like in a, in a negative way. And that and that's actually how he started Jackal was initially it was going to be trying to find uh, these people doing illegal things through the blockchain. So that, that was the initial idea for it. So it's kind of blowing my mind that you guys have a, kind of a similar uh, backstory to getting into crypto. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, that's that's funny. I, I've never really talked to the Jackal guys, but um, yeah, they seem like they're. I, I know it's like cybersecurity or something, right? But yeah, I think a lot of people have that same sort of background, right? Like, if you weren't a nit, like, just the diffusion of sort of influence in general is like you have your first follow, like your first movers who are typically pretty fringe and then the people who are like fast followers are typically like people who either work in an adjacent tech and then you know see it and want to get into it or or maybe like that contrarian angle as well so yeah i think a lot of people probably have that story yeah i think you're right so maybe it wasn't as crazy as i thought (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so you know you've been in the space for a while now do you still feel like you know, we, we go as Bitcoin goes, or do you, do you think that should, um, that should stop in the future? I think that you're going to see more and more separation over time. Um, I think Bitcoin, as it gets more ingrained in society, will honestly just flow a lot like the other assets do. I think you're starting to see that. Like, you know, they always just used to say that Bitcoin was like a hedge against inflation and stuff like that. But, you know, with this last sort of downturn, you've seen a little bit more correlation, but who knows that that's, that's a big thing to, 
kind of predict because I think yeah. altcoins specifically, there's there's so many different use cases for altcoins. Like some altcoins behave more like you know rev share agreements and stuff like that, and that's going to be that's an interesting one because that can go up and down irregardless of Bitcoin, whether whether trading goes up and down. And so that could be a, a situation where those things can pull away and are more driven based on like the actual economics of the project. But then there's other coins that are less focused on utility. Um, you can make the argument that maybe Atom is kind of like that until it gets adopted as like the interchain security hub that it's trying to become. That utility will add more benefit, but until it sort of takes on that role, a lot of the tokens that don't have a lot of utility um, will probably follow Bitcoin, I, I would imagine, or just follow the general cycles of like altcoin season, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, that that definitely, I think, is going to be the case, and can't wait for Cosmos to, to get some of that utility. <laughs> no, for sure, I think it's coming, man. I mean, yeah, I think cosmos has like is at this crossroads where it can really differentiate itself like you know you see a lot of interoperability solutions like the op stack and and, and layer zero and all this stuff kind of coming up and a lot of them are very well funded as well which is a huge obstacle to conquer right but cosmos has what a lot of those other ones don't have in that you know it doesn't have a lot of funding and so what you're seeing is actually a lot of organic adoption right like i don't know if dydx got a grant or anything to come over but it seems like that was primarily driven by just the love for the, like a business decision on the tech right the tech is good that's going to get us to come over you see Verachain's going to launch say is going to launch i think a lot of these things are are a golden opportunity for us to separate from the rest of the crypto ecosystem and it, it's, it's just going to be cool to see where it goes yeah, no, no, definitely like Cosmos does have, I think, superior tech. And that's why so many different protocols built on top of it, even like, you know, Binance or Torchain or the aforementioned Luna, you know, like it it has great tech. And so that's what makes it a good space to build on. Yeah, for sure. And like, I'm glad you brought up Luna because I, I know Luna is like a black mark on Cosmos in a sense now. But what Luna really proved was that a Cosmos chain can compete with Ethereum. Like not, maybe not, I mean, it didn't get as big as Ethereum, obviously, because it was, I mean, for for obvious reasons, there was a lot of issues with that design. But at the end of the day, it did pull in, what, like 20 billion plus TVL at a time when no other ecosystem had gotten to that. It was bigger than Binance Smart Chain, I believe, um, by a considerable amount. So, I mean, it just goes to show that, like, you know, the tech is good enough to get to the to compete with those other folks. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like you, the tech is where it's at. It's what you choose to do with that tech that will define your product. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, shifting gears a little bit, um, kind of like putting back to Bitcoin. What do you think about um, like giving Bitcoin more utility kind of like you know, inscriptions on on its blockchain, kind of like ordinals. Yeah, I don't know about, like, ordinals are cool. And I think that now that you're seeing things like, um, what do they call them? Like the BRC20 tokens or like yeah, BRC20. All, of, all of these like cool little enhancements, the NFTs on, on top of Bitcoin. I think it's cool, but unfortunately, 
I don't know if like the tech itself can handle all of that um, because Bitcoin really is. I mean, the whole point of Bitcoin is like it's this sort of like it's a stable tech that doesn't have like the the rampant change that maybe the financial system does or all these other things do. It's that stability and, and almost conservatism in a way that really makes Bitcoin shine. Um, otherwise, you would question a lot about Bitcoin, right? It's that if you don't have that stability, if you don't have that cap on supply, right? If it was kind of like a Cosmos chain where like, you know, like take the Juno situation with Juno well, right? Like if that happened on Bitcoin, I think you would be freaking out, right? Or like if if they had the ability to remove the cap, which they do technically, but out of practice, they, they it doesn't seem like they will. If stuff like that were to change, I think Bitcoin would lose a lot of its sort of appeal. And so what I think honestly needs to happen is Cosmos chains really need to provide almost like a sidechain process or, or UX to Bitcoin. Because it's ultimately like the, the match made in heaven where it's like these Cosmos chains have all the abilities of like an Ethereum or, or any other major ecosystem, but they don't necessarily have to have the maximalism that a lot of them do because they're so inter interoperable. And so if they can work with Bitcoin and provide almost like an execution layer or like just or just a general app layer where apps can kind of run and bring utility to Bitcoin while Bitcoin provides, you know, that stability that we talked about, but also even in your case, like security with Babylon, I think that put together is really a cool architecture. And I think that honestly should be a little bit more explored because i mean uh, uh, at the end of the day a lot of us are just competing over ethereum funds when you really get down to where the capital's flowing from and that's not always going to be sustainable because you have maximalism you have all these other things bitcoin's really an untapped market because what is bitcoin's DeFi? for the most part it's either on ethereum or it doesn't exist and yeah that's that's kind of the golden goose yeah, that's definitely, and it's the biggest, right? It's the biggest golden goose. It's the biggest untapped market. So you're right. Like, and I think you hit the nail on the head, like trying to think of these other utilities that you can bring to it, you know, through Cosmos, through other chains that, that can use it, it. I think is amazing to think about. It's exciting to think about. Uh, I can't even begin to think of like, different things that people will come up with that, that will be able to work in that way. Well, yeah, for sure. And I, I think like if, if Bitcoin is actually like digital gold, which I think for the most part, that's what people are trying to treat it as. You have to kind of take a look at the gold markets and see like what's come of that versus like what can happen with Bitcoin when you kind of assess its maximum either use case or maximum, I guess, market share. And when I look at that, you know, gold is cool. But imagine if you could actually do all the things you can do with a dollar with gold, right? And there's been like some sort of innovation on on in actual physical gold, like you know, like Peter Schill um, will also always get on, um, <laughs> you know, he'll he'll start talking about, you know, oh, you know, gold is this, but Bitcoin's the devil, and, yeah, and then yeah. he's pushing a card, like a debit card that allows you to push and and to pay in gold. I mean, if that stuff really was built out to a way that it wasn't almost laughable i think you yeah. would see actually more use of gold because people do that is ultimately like where a lot of people that have that sort of like uh like economic thinking go to and so i think that people will look at bitcoin like 
a gold with more opportunity. And in, in, in essence, I don't think you can, I, th- I think parity with gold as a, as for the Bitcoin market is only the beginning. I think if you can add utility through Babylon, through DeFi, through all these other things, there's no reason why Bitcoin can't pass gold. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. So I wanted to ask you a question that, that I usually ask in these spaces. It, it, uh, it's always a, a question that's close to, to my heart. Um, my parents are originally from El Salvador. They, they came to the United States in the middle of our civil war in 1980s. And ever since then, the country has been pretty corrupt. It didn't matter who was in power. It didn't matter if it was you know, right wing, left wing. They would always found a way of taking advantage of, of the country. Um, and then within the past three or four years, we've had um, a new president who doesn't claim to be either. Sorry, one, Eric. Who's... I, I think I lost. Oh, did you lose me? I lost oh, okay, let, let me... second. Oh, man, I was in the middle of a beautiful speech, Brandon. What are you doing to me? Oh, man, I lost you. <laughs> no, at... just... Your parents were from El Salvador yeah. and then a civil right. war happened. Okay, so I was just letting you know that my parents, uh, right, they, they came to the United States. They're escaping a civil war. We've had a corrupt country in El Salvador for the past 30 plus years. And now we have this new president who has decided to make Bitcoin legal tender. Um, so a lot of people love that. A lot of people don't like it. So I wanted to think I wanted to see what your opinion was on a government making a crypto in general, a legal tender to be used in the country. Well, it's 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 got a lot of dangers to it, for sure. I mean, you have to whenever you put the the when you think about these currencies, right, you have to be realistic, especially when you're going to put an entire population of a country at risk. Right. And so when I think of Bitcoin, I think long term, that makes a lot of sense. And someone has to be that first person to do it. But you also have to consider all of the sort of manipulation that goes on in the market, especially if you think that, you know, larger forces than than you and I are at play here. Um, when you think about things like Terra, right, um, there's a lot of sort of he said, she, she said, and accusations of how that actually went down. There's accusations that SBF was behind it. Um, there's accusations that SBF was behind a lot of DPEGs, um, to be honest. And so when you put your, you, you put your country in sort of that, uh, in the hands of something like that, it's dangerous. But I ultimately think what they're doing is pretty brave because they've sort of, I, I think they, I think everyone understands that. Um, and they're putting their, their country sort of like they're, they're taking a risk um, by opening up their, their land to Bitcoin. And, you know, whether it pays off or not, I think it will, because I do think Bitcoin is, is going to be much more valued than it is now. Um, but it's it's a big risk, right? It's a huge risk. But I'm I'm super glad that they take that they've decided to take that on because now you see the conversation that other people are taking it on, because you know with all the negatives of any situation, there's always positives. And honestly, if they can form some sort of coalition with other countries that take on Bitcoin, because there's a lot of countries out there whose currency actually has way worse limitations than like the dollar right like we talk about inflation for the u.s economy and like even in kind of talking about like hyperinflation in a sense with what we've seen the last few years it's not quite there yet but it's been it's been a worry 
Um, but you have other countries that have actual hyperinflation and have sort of these crazy situations. I look at what happened in Venezuela. I think that's probably one of the best examples of what can happen when a government has complete control. So I think ultimately El Salvador, is, it's a step in the right direction. Um, yeah. And I think it's going to get a lot more mature over time. I, I think it's going to pay off for them. I, what, what I like about it is I feel like it kind of like puts the pressure onto these other countries to like just say what what the regulations are. You know, I feel like it, it's, it helps get that that talk started at least. Yeah, like you're seeing kind of two two types of countries kind of forming or two sides forming, right? You have like the U.S., which is trying to I mean, ultimately, it's, the, the current administration seems like it's trying to kill crypto. I mean, I don't think that's a non uh, an unfair assessment of what they're doing. And then you have other countries like Japan and, um, you know, special administrative regions like Hong Kong that are really embracing crypto. And so what you really and, and like there's other things like Dubai, I think Singapore is one of them as well. El Salvador is obviously pro- I mean, El Salvador is probably leading the way in this. Um, it's kind of funny that you mentioned leaving El Salvador because of the civil war, because I've been thinking about moving to El Salvador because of some <laughs> of their practices recently. But yeah. um, well, it's super nice now. You, you should definitely go. Like if I ever cash out, I'm definitely going to go do it in El Salvador. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no dude, taxes. Tax situation. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're talking about no taxes for software developers. Like when I saw that, I was like, shit, man, I might have to move, <laughs> I might have to move, uh, learn a little bit more Spanish and, and head down there. But yeah, I think yeah, I'll, I'll practice with you. I'll, I'll teach you some. <laughs> oh, for sure, man. But yeah, like I think the countries that ultimately accept big, uh, accept cryptocurrencies, especially Bitcoin, because Bitcoin, it's really hard to make an argument against Bitcoin because it's it's so not a security. Um, it's so obviously not one. And, and people try to I mean, I think the SEC even they they don't really touch that topic anymore uh, when it comes to Bitcoin and you don't have a lot of the hangups that a lot of the altcoins have. And so, yeah, I mean, embracing that is going to be the future. And ultimately, I just hope that the U.S. doesn't fall behind in innovation because of this. Because, you know, we've seen uh, the U.S. has a history of, of taking a little bit more of a political or of like a feelings-based approach to these things rather than letting the markets decide. You've seen it with like prohibition in the past, with what's going on with the drug trade and drug wars. And you see it with cryptocurrency. And ultimately, I just hope they come to their senses and let the free market decide. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So I want to thank you for answering all these questions about Bitcoin. You know, like uh, it, it's, it's not about Umi, it's not about Babylon, but you know, just I, I think it's good to like educate the community and hear the audience, just, you know, opinions that we have on bitcoin and where we think it's going but now i want to i want to talk a little bit more about umi um you know whenever shoot tells me about it it just goes right over my head he he has such a deep understanding of it so i would love if you could like tell us a little bit about it yeah so umi is the premier borrowing and lending platform of cosmos and 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 of all crypto is the eventual goal so what you can do on umi is you can use pretty much any cosmos asset as collateral and you can borrow um, pretty much any Cosmos asset as well. Um, we've got a lot of Ethereum assets in there. We've got a lot of um, other ecosystems as well. Uh, we're moving into Polkadot. We're moving into more Ethereum assets. Um, and we're going to be incorporating a, a, a lot of different assets from different ecosystems. 
Um, and yeah, so the reason you would want to do that is obviously leverage helps kind of even the playing field. If you don't have a lot of money to trade with, um, typically you see those folks try to lever up. Um, that's one aspect, but the other aspect is just being able to create these composable strategies that anyone can use to, to sort of invest in crypto, but with a price, with price risk minimized. And what I mean by that is say, for example, you're a Bitcoin maxi, right? And you just hold Bitcoin and you, but you want to get into DeFi, right? Like you've seen the 100% APYs and you've seen the, the crazy staking rates and Cosmos has maybe intrigued you because we've got the highest inflation rates in all of the ecosystem, right? Um, this is a path to do that. So what you can do is you can take your Bitcoin it's wrapped Bitcoin from Ethereum right now. Um, once Nomic launches, obviously want to get that uh, integrated as well, since that's one step instead of two. Uh, but right now, you can just take your wrapped Bitcoin, bring it over to Umi using Axelar, and you can uh, use it as collateral. And then you can borrow any asset from there. And so what that looks like is, say, for example, you want you like the 20% APY that you can earn on Atom staking, right? Instead of, you know, selling your Bitcoin for Atom, which you might not want to do because Atom is a lot more volatile and, and Bitcoin's just been a better performer in a lot of ways. Um, you can just use your Bitcoin as collateral. You can borrow, say, some Atom, stake it or loop it with some leverage staking using like a liquid staking derivative. And then you can earn that 20% essentially on your Bitcoin. Um, and there's obviously you have to minus out like the borrowing costs and whatnot, but say, for example, there, there's a strategy that I call anchored, stra anchored staking, which is you take an anchored asset, um, like Bitcoin that doesn't have a, a high yield and you combine it with leverage staking. So say you take a bunch of Bitcoin, you put it on UMI, you borrow an equal amount of Atom, swap that for ST Atom on stride, deposit your Atom as more collateral that way your position is very safe um, and it is not really at risk of liquidation because as the atom you borrowed goes up in price, so will the ST atom collateral that you have and vice versa. If it goes down, you can borrow more. And ultimately what you'll see is you're earning that sort of 20% initial APY from the, um, from the ST atom that you have minus say like a 10% uh, interest rate. And you can loop that up a couple times to ultimately where you're earning like say 10% or more on your Bitcoin, which is pretty good. Um, you don't have sort of the issue of impermanent loss like you do with a DEX because typically you're pairing your Bitcoin with something like, you know, like take for example, osmosis, right? The opportunity cost for someone to put their Bitcoin or, or the overall cost of, of putting Bitcoin into Osmo to earn a yield is you have to either sell some of your Bitcoin and buy Osmo or, or procure that. However, and Osmo is obviously out like Bitcoin has outperformed Osmo to a vast extent, right? Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. absolutely murdered it. Um, and so if you were in a Bitcoin Osmo pool, you would, you would have gotten wrecked. Um, yeah. You would yeah. have gotten re rewards, but it's not, it's not going to fully make up for the lost yield. Whereas on Umi, mm -hmm. you don't have that price risk. You're borrowing the atom. And so ultimately, once you're done with the strategy, you just pay it back since you keep that asset and the yield is what you keep. So what what is like 
the the worst risk you have on Umi? The worst risk you have on Umi is liquidation. So what you want to avoid is getting liquidated. What that means is you have a set collateral rate, meaning what percentage of my total value in collateral can I use for debt? So say, for example, you're, you, can, you have Bitcoin and its maximum LTV is 50%, which means if I have $30,000 in Bitcoin, say I have one Bitcoin, I can borrow up to 15000 because that's 50% of it. If, I go, if my borrowing goes above 15000 or if my, the price of Bitcoin goes down to the point where my borrowing is over that 50%, I can get liquidated in chunks. And it's not a total liquidation. We, we have a pretty loose liquidation policy because of our Oracle system. Um, we have some pretty tight Oracle pr- protections that allow us to be pretty lenient on liquidations. Um, but you could lose some, some money on that. Okay. Okay. That, that's fair. Um, I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head. Are you a hoe? Is that what you're using for Oracle? I thought you just called me a hoe and uh, got pretty <laughs> offended there. But <laughs> I don't. Yeah, we use Oho. We we were the team that uh, we built Oho, and then we're spinning it off into um, its own chain. Oh, see, I pronounce it in Spanish. That's why you got offended. Oh yeah, it's it's Oho. It's you know it's Oho. it's it's, cool. it's it's I. You know that's the logo. I I yeah. So um is so Oho is officially out. I I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, OHO is running. It's technically a testnet in terms of the chain, but the actual price feeds are mainnet prices. And so anyone can use this. Uh, the reason for that is they, they haven't wanted, they don't want to release the token yet just because it doesn't really make sense because it's not tied in economically yet. And you shouldn't just create a token for the sake of creating a token. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just, it, it's running right now. It's it's called, uh, the, the chain itself is, um, on the Agamotto testnet, basically. But the prices are mainnet. Um, anyone can use it. They're looking to launch. I think they're launched on Juno already. They're launching on Archway, Secret Network for Shade to Integrate, and, and a host of other chains as well. So really, really a lot oh, of success there. That is awesome that you're being integrated already with all these other chains. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. And I think they want to, I mean, they, they ultimately want to get on every chain, um, and, and it's completely free to use right now. I mean, ultimately what we're trying to do is get the entire ecosystem kind of pumping because, you know, the, the, P, the pie itself for Cosmos is so small right now compared to other ecosystems that, like, if we were to just, like, you know, incentivize the crap out of UMI and try to compete with, like, Mars and some of the other lending protocols, we'd just be competing over, like, the same $50 million. And it's it's... It's just going to be a game of back and forth. Whereas if we focus on growing the pie through delivering these Oracle solutions, delivering Taboo with a better mobile experience, then that $50 million can maybe become $5 billion. And then, yeah, maybe we focus more on competing with the people in the ecosystem. But right now, it just doesn't make sense. So is, is that what's making you different than these other protocols like Mars? Is it being able to have like your own Oracle or your own wallet that you're working on? Yeah, I think I think there's a few things that make us different. I think the I mean, a lot of people have talked to the success of Umi because, I mean, realistically speaking, the the entire sort of inner circle of projects was pushing Mars pretty hard before it came out. So um, it's it's interesting to see the, the tide turn, which is cool. 
Um, and it's, it's really interesting to see that it's, it was done organically with no incentives or anything. Like we've all the TVL that we've accumulated, I think we're close to like 14 mil in terms of total liquidity deposited um, has been all through the bear market, no incentives, just pure strategies that people want to use. And uh, yeah, I think ultimately what you'll see is that the way we differentiate ourselves from Mars is that one, we're super ingrained with what our users want. Um, that's one of the reasons why we haven't had to use um, incentives yet, because there are certain strategies and being a sort of a degen myself um, has kind of helped with this because I'm in a lot of ways, I'm just asking myself, what strategies would I want to do um, if I was degening the cosmos? Right. And usually when I think of that, it's it's something that a lot of, a lot of other people have thought of as well. And we've had some intense, uh, some some good uh, success with that. You see that with, you know, the ST Atom, Atom loop that a lot of people are doing it. Uh, you see a lot of it with the USDC borrowing. Um, we, we've got a lot of assets that most others can't support. And that's a big part of it. So it's the strategies um, that we think kind of separate us from Mars just uh, being intensely involved with our users, being, you know, user obsessed and, and really understanding them. But then also there's the technical technical side of it. I mean, our architecture ultimately leads to a more, I would say, innovative core tech. Um, you can see a lot of things because we chose to be an app chain versus what Mars is doing. Um, we have cool things like the Oracle. That's one thing that we can basically... We're not relying on anyone else other than ourselves to support any new price feed. We can build price feeds to different DEXs. We can build price feeds from, you know, centralized exchanges off, uh, you know, even like off chain data, like Forex and stuff like that. Like we can do it all. And so th that's a huge part of it. Being an app chain, it's unlimited oracles, unlimited access to, you know, changing like the app level um, logic to tie in with consensus. Like there's so many things that we can do that Mars and some other solutions can't do. And it's, it's ultimately going to be a huge technical advantage, I would say. Yeah, I think you're right. And just, just hearing your passion, you know, about this, uh, I'm definitely after a call, I'm definitely going to jump off and, and dig in a little bit myself. Like you've, <laughs> you're inspiring <laughs> me to, to, to play with these protocols. Um, that that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you. Um, I was I wanted to ask you about the um, about the taboo wallet. Um, to can you like I saw like it's been a few months now that you guys have been kind of like teasing it, and so like what what kind of things are you ho are you hoping to change in the space? Yeah, definitely trying to change mobile UX. I think mobile has been largely ignored um, for the most part. I think the best mobile wallet is obviously Leap right now, um, which is pretty cool. Um, but I think mobile UX and interchain UX are our two major focuses. And so what I mean by that is most wallets are multi-chain, and that's like like Kepler's multi-chain, Leap is multi-chain, Cosmos Station is multi-chain. But I don't feel like any of them are truly interchain. And what I mean by that is when you actually want to use any of those wallets, you have to select what chain you're on before you even can see a balance. So if I'm on Leap, I need to go to my, I need to change to Osmosis to see all my Osmo balances. And then I have to change to Cosmos Hub to see all my Cosmos balances and stuff and staking balances and stuff like that. 
that's great for a multi-chain experience. But if we're truly trying to get to this uh, experience, this inner chain, where no one really even knows what chain they're on, it doesn't really matter. Um, I just don't think that's that's good enough. So that's one of the UX changes that we're doing is that basically when, when you log into Taboo, you'll see your balances across all ecosystems, whether it's Cosmos, whether it's whether it's Ethereum, Avalanche, you know, even some of the, the move ecosystems like Aptos, like all of these things will be integrated so that your experience, all you have to focus on is trading and doing leverage and whatever the case may be. We will aggregate everything else for you. And the other sort of major aspect of our strategy is rather than sending you through a browser or just having the wallet be a signing device, we're actually building out all of the functions into our app, um, into the actual UI so that you don't have to use a browser. So even like, I mean, for me, because I'm in the US and, I, and Eric, you are too, try to, yeah. use, try to use Mars on Kepler's mobile app. If I try to use it right now, I get geo blocked. If I try yeah, to use Mars on Cosmos Station or Leap, I also get geo blocked. That won't happen on Taboo because we're going to build Mars's functionality directly into the app, so that if I want to take out a loan on Mars or Umi, I just click, you know, create a loan or create create a bar a leverage position, and I can do that directly through the app. I don't even have to go to their site. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's one thing that's frustrating whenever it is it keeps using like browser integration. Even like Kepler does that a little bit whenever you try to get to Stargaze or Leap also. You always have to go through the browser so that you're building it in there. It's actually really awesome. Yeah, because I mean, people talk about every, every chain is trying to build an app store now, which is kind of comical to me because, you know, you can build an app store all you want. But ultimately, you're going to be subject to the actual app store, which we found out the hard way, obviously, going through like the review process. Like, you know, if your app store relies you to get on another app store to get to that app store, um, you're not an app store. And so we're not trying to build an app store. And that's all uh, that's kind of what the experience is like in a way. Right. Like you download an app. Say you go to Cosmos Station, you download an app, you go to Cosmos Station, you go to the DAP section and they have like 20 different buttons that you can press. And all it is, is they're just leading you to their mobile site. And it's kind of like, you know, you have to deal with learning different UIs and UXs. And you're really relying on that individual team to have a great front-end designer and have a great UX designer. Taboo will have one unified UI and UX so that you can use Umi, Mars, you know, Shadeland, Kujira's, Ghost, all that stuff to find the best rates for lending. You'll be able to use our DEX aggregator to find the best rates on swaps, all that good stuff. V1 uh, does not include the aggregators. It's just uh, swapping through osmosis on the front end. Um, but those aggregators are kind of our next major focus. Man, and I, I just, you know, think about new users who are trying to use these other wallets right now and how confusing it must be and what, what big of a turnoff it is to have to try to learn all these different UIs to you know to do anything so that that must be a huge turnoff for any new user who doesn't know anything about the space so not having to deal with that i think would be amazing yeah i think that's that's the ultimate like you know i spent a lot of time uh in the past building digital banking apps um for like large-scale financial institutions people like td ameritrade stuff like that um and all, honestly when i when i first saw cosmos a light kind of went off in my brain that was like oh this is basically just like 
the TradFi system, but with blockchains instead of different software providers. Because when you look at like your Chase app or your Wells Fargo app or whatever the case may be, when you see like a checking account, savings account, mortgage, home equity loan, credit card, debit card, every single piece of that pie is a different system integrated through APIs. And so when you look at the crypto ecosystem, it's the same thing. Um, you know, Osmosis is your trading provider. UMI is your money market savings account slash loan provider. Mars can be that too. Um, you know, there's different sort of like on-ramp solutions like Kado that can be in essence, like, you know, like a, a payment app in, in a way. And stable coins are kind of like the, 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 the payment rails for something like a Venmo. Um, all of these things exist. And so if someone were to integrate them all together, I think you could work within like the mental model of what people are used to on TradFi so that they don't have to go through this huge learning curve to get into crypto. And they can just you do the things that they know how to do. They can trade. They can get a loan. They can, you know, buy something. That stuff is easy for a user. It's everything else that gets in the way. Yeah, that's so true. Um, so obviously, I love that you guys are are really building so much. Uh, I think it's it's amazing, and I think you guys are doing an like a just a, a great job, you know, building all these things out. Which makes me really excited that. Babylon is going to have a, a piece of um, of that support to you guys, like to be a part of, of that also. Um, and I, I just wanted to get like your thoughts on, you know, why did y'all decide to integrate with Babylon on obtaining Bitcoin security? Like, um, I, I know why we wanted to search out, you know, reach out to you guys was because we thought you guys were building great things. But then I want to know, you know, what did you guys think? Yeah, I think I think uh, Babylon is a really interesting project. And, and one of the I mean, not to gas you guys up or anything, I think you guys are one of the coolest projects in Cosmos because you're doing something that no one else is doing. And that's always a cool thing. Like, you know, it, it's never good to just do... Uh, it, but it, there's also, like, a huge reason why you're doing it, which is even better because sometimes when I look at Cosmos stuff, I see a bunch of projects that are building cool tech for the sake of building cool tech, to be honest. And... um that's that's usually a huge red flag but you guys are building cool tech that has a huge purpose of security so that's really awesome first of all um and then uh, for us particularly you know umi has grown uh, considerably and just because your tvl grows doesn't mean your your token's always going to grow in price um that's not always going to be the case, even when it doesn't, when it, when it makes sense. Um, some of that's being worked on in terms of like our new tokenomics, tying in lending with, with staking, all that good stuff. But part of that also has to come from external sources. Like Bitcoin is the largest, you know, market cap in the world. It's not even close. Um, I would argue that if Bitcoin provided, you know, just as good security as Ethereum, there'd be no, no reason to use Ethereum security. Um, because yeah, it's just so much bigger. And so what you guys are doing is pretty cool. And that's why, um, when you guys approached us about, you know, getting on your test and everything, I was all yeses because, you know, it, it's a huge opportunity. And if you can get it right, I think this can be something that really helps Cosmos explode too. not just Cosmos, but you could provide security to anything. Um, and I yeah. think in particular, our institutional focus makes a lot of sense for Babylon too. Because if, you know, when institutions look at security, right, do they want your 
do they want to build a chain that relies on some strange token that you know is kind of obscure and kind of goes up and down at will <laughs> and you know that's what's providing security and it could be 20 million today it could be 40 million tomorrow it could be 10 million the next day no yeah. they, they want a stable like something that's stable and, and something that's large and secure and it's a name brand and bitcoin is obviously that so i think you guys are definitely all in the right direction yeah oh th- thank you for saying that um yeah that's definitely you know why we chose bitcoin and you're right like we we saw what happened with something as big as luna was where just someone big came in and like completely messed it up so if we if you just had some obscure coin anyone could come in and mess that up and so you wouldn't be secure anymore um i i did realize you mentioned more uh about your tokenomics are you guys still on schedule to do that q3 to update your tokenomics yeah, right now we're just debating what what all to do. Um, there's some really cool ideas around um, how to integrate staking with actual lending, so that maybe the more you stake, the higher your APY will be for lending. Um, there's also some, you know, burn mechanisms are cool, buyback mechanisms, uh, real yield, all that stuff's kind of being considered right now. Okay. Um, stuff like that. Okay, and I wanted to ask you, what's a me token? A me token. Okay, so this is going to be one of our major uh, product releases coming up. So, me token stands for multivariate elastic tokens. Um, that's kind of a l- long way of saying packaged assets. When you look at, um, you know, there's a lot of use cases in TradFi for these packaged assets, um, and one of the most common things that you see for them this is an index. I actually don't think an index token is what crypto needs right now i know a lot of people are building them um but what we think we can do with packaged assets is build something unique that will attract others to it so what the two first me tokens uh well basically overall the me tokens allow you to take many tokens package them together however you see fit create a derivative from that and then use that derivative for collateral whatever the case may be uh, and then the underlying tokens, something can be done with that to either chase yield, to to stabilize, to do whatever. And so what that looks like is two primary products. There's the MeUSD and the MeLSD. MeUSD is going to be an index token um, for all of the Cosmos stables. And what we're trying to do there is we're going to use, say, like a little bit of native USDC, a little bit of native Tether, um, and then pairing that with things like Kujira USK, IST, um, if Osmosis is BitDollar um, concept, I think Membranes building that comes out that as well. Packaging all those together and diversifying that risk will allow us to offer higher LTVs on those than we can on the individual stablecoin just because it's pairing it with more stable or more secure and safer, like longer term stablecoins allows you to diversify that risk. We can hire you can offer higher LTVs on that. We can incentivize it. We can do all these cool things. And then on the MLSD side, what we can do there is we can create the highest yield liquid staking derivatives out of all of the uh, out of any ecosystem by pairing any liquid staking derivative with leverage staking automatically. And so what that'll look like um, is say me Adam is one of our first concepts. What you can do is you can create a pool of assets, a package essentially, that includes, say, 50% stride atom because that's the most popular, 
maybe 25% Q Adam from Quicksilver, 25% uh, SDK Adam from Persistence. And maybe once Lido joins the game with Neutron, we in- incorporate them as well. So you're already diversifying your uh, LSD providers, which is a huge issue, right? We don't want to be Ethereum where 90% is controlled by one person, right? And that's kind of happening with Stride. You diversify that risk so that you don't have centralization risk. And on top of that, with all of the staking derivatives that they put into this, uh, into Meatum, to Mint, we can then on the back end automate a leverage staking uh, solution so that that Meatum can generate 1.5 times the normal yield of a staking derivative and still be liquid. And so what you're going to see there is ultimately just a higher yield LSD automated automated leverage strategies and i think that'll help not just more adoption for like stride liquid staking derivatives but you'll see the other little guys start to come up too because it's kind of like as you build more stride liquidity in the me token it's going to incentivize more of the other assets to diversify that risk so ultimately it's a less risky cosmos um but with more yield uh, essentially and that's that's really exciting. Can't wait to for you guys to come up with that. <laughs> yeah, Q3, for sure. Huh? For that's sure. Awesome. Yeah, it's 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 in the works. MeUSD will probably be ready a lot sooner than the other ones. But the cool thing is like this is completely composable. So one of the other things that we're exploring is like, you know, how do you create the highest yield ETH derivative? Because that's something I think that would get a lot of Ethereum people going. Like with any funnel, you need to create something that attracts people to you initially and something to keep yeah. them there i think cosmos has done great on the latter part of there's a lot of cool tech that can keep people but there's not much that attracts them initially and usually you have to do that with yield well if we can have the highest real yield stable we, if we can have the highest real yield ethereum staking derivative and that's sitting on cosmos that's going to attract some attention and i think we can do that by partnering with with Somalia with their real yield strategy on uh, ethereum and, and maybe even some of their other stuff too but all of this is going to be possible with the me tokens. It's just once it's set up, we need to figure out the strategies. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent right. Like you need to offer something that people want. Like not everyone's all about the tech, but if you can offer them higher rewards, you know, you got people's attention. So that's a great point. Yeah, especially if it's real yield, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, is there anything that that you wanted to talk about, Brandon, that I haven't been able to to ask you yet? Um, nothing yet. Uh, but if we're, if we're doing kind of parting, uh, words, I will, I will tease a little bit. I've, I've been seeing a lot of comments on Cosmos Twitter about being able to stake for longer than, you know, one duration. Um, I'll say this, we have a project in stealth right now. That's, that's coming out soon. Um, we'll be looking to release like a test net soon in which you can stake for any period up to four years. Um, That's at the L1 level. You can stake for any duration that you want. And the longer you stake, the more rewards you'll get, um, the more voting power you'll get. Um, Sort of all all of that governance has kind of changed with this. Um, A lot of sort of capital efficiency comes from that. So a lot of cool stuff with that project. I can't say too much on it, but there's a lot of cool stuff in the works uh, that we haven't talked about that isn't on that roadmap. Um, So stay tuned for that. Sounds like we're going to need to schedule a space soon whenever you guys are working on these other things. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, Brandon, it's been awesome having you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's really been a pleasure. Like, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, me too, dude. Thanks. Thanks for the invite. Yep. Yep. Sorry for calling you a hoe earlier. <laughs> hey, it's all good. Only you can call me that, Eric. <laughs> all right. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Please make sure to give Brandon and Umi a follow. Follow along what they're doing. They're building some amazing things. Um, and we're so happy to be integrated with you, Brandon. So uh, until next time. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care.